0: music the podcast with music for the mature mind this is episode 145 our special 2023 year-end wrap-up episode i'm your co-host russ
1: and i'm your co-host mike and what a year it's been well musically anyway
0: (laughs) mike we put out 49 regular episodes this year two interviews And a total of 294 recordings we listen to.
1: You know what's horrifying about that is we listen to a lot more than 294 recordings. We just talked about 294 recordings on the podcast. (laughs) On here. What a monster I am.
0: (laughs) And our task (laughs) for today is to try to whittle that down to 40 recordings to talk about.
1: About, yeah. Just about. About 20 jazz and 20 classical. I have 13 classical on my list. 'Cause that's what I kinda what I had last year. I was
0: ruthless with the
1: butcher's cleaver. I could have been, but I just kind of like, uh, I want to... I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> and this year I'm going to try to get everything into a PDF form as well, and we'll get that up on our Facebook site for easy access if you want to mm. check on any recordings you missed or just see everything in one place, get the streaming links, and uh, just document it in a written form as well.
1: Yeah, and this year, for the first time ever, we'll have musical samples of all of our favorite yeah.
0: albums of the year. Because we didn't do that last year. No, we just started around episode 130 or so doing that. Yeah. You know, doing this and going through reviewing everything again, I started to think about, what are we doing here (laughs) on this podcast? (laughs) So I started to think, you know, I teach a course on music and U.S. society. And a big part of that content is the changes in technology, which influence how we listen to music. And one thing I think about often is ever since the Sony Walkman and of course now with smartphones, music has become a much more individual type of enjoyment. When we were growing up, we would get together with friends and listen to mm. music together. In university, we'd go to each other's like dorm rooms, put some recordings on the stereo and listen and get excited together. But you know, now people mainly listen individually and if they share at all, they send links to each other, <laughs> just like mm. we do right, every week. So one of the greatest joys of music to me is sharing music that you love with other people. And that's been the basis of our friendship for more than 20 years yeah and if you can find people like that in life i think it makes life really special ironically that same technology that has made the music listening experience less communal that's what's allowed us to do this podcast so right. certainly it's been great to meet people through doing adult music musicians composers other podcasters so what we're really doing is just sharing music that we think is great and love with people around the world And this is coming out on Christmas Day, so that's our Christmas gift to you. And that's a great feeling to me. I wish we could hear more back from individual listeners so we know about you and what you like. So don't hesitate to write to us. Or if you remember my
1: early comment from a very early episode, what you could like that you didn't know
0: you might like. And we should say... This is our year-end wrap-up best of episode, but this is purely a subjective kind of criteria. That starts from when we decide what we're going to discuss in the episodes. And what I've chosen in my picks, both classical and jazz, for this episode are not necessarily the best recordings or the best performances. They're recordings of music that have impressed me in a certain way with either expression or made me experience music in a different way or gave me new music that I thought has some uniqueness to it. And also recordings that I've gone back to more than others.
1: So in other words, yeah, it's a very subjective list. Right. My list is very subjective too. We're not trying to tell you these are the best recordings of the year. These are the recordings we liked the
0: most. Right. And looking at some of the other best of lists, you know, in the famous magazines, there's very little overlap. Yeah, I noticed it. I think that's the reason why you can come to adult music if you want something different. Not only that, there wasn't much overlap between the things me and you chose. Right, <laughs> you know? right.
1: Because we gave each other a and There was some overlap because we both liked certain things a lot. Sure. But, uh yeah, it just goes to show you, we really have different ears and kind of respond to music in different ways. Not very different. I mean, we still mm. kind of can get each other to listen to music and get into it. But uh, it's just what took with the other person that's really interesting to me. And that's why when we do this podcast, we like to switch places where I'll pick my top 10 jazz records and Russ picks his top 10 classical records because I do most of the classical choices and Russ does most of the jazz. And I want to know what kind of took root with him that I kind of put out there. I'll try to explain.
0: before we get into that, I want to thank Casper Van Meel for sharing our episode and his kind words that he wrote about our podcast on Facebook from our episode last week. And well, a spoiler, if you're listening, Casper, you're going to be in this episode as well.
1: Oh, I didn't even know that. I, I kind of suspected though. Right.
0: <laughs> Thanks to Andrew Pereira, also who shared our episode with his great debut. Go back and check out that from last week's episode. And as always, in the episode description, you're going to find links to Spotify and Apple Music for all of the music we'll discuss at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. I'm going to put all these recordings in there. You can listen for weeks and months, maybe. <laughs>
1: I don't know. Russ likes to sit in front of that computer. I'll be honest. I really don't, but I, <laughs> but I still do what I can. You'll notice that's why most of our posts on Facebook are about jazz and not classical. Because <laughs> I'll put up one thing occasionally.
0: I'm in front of the computer all day. And when I'm not, I'm doing <laughs> like chin-ups next to it or something. So. Oh, boy. Yeah. Anyway, you can get all the music in one place on Deezer. We can also listen to the podcast as well. If you don't see the full description or the recording list and links aren't easy to follow on whatever app you listen to us on, come over to our host site on Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Everything's easy to follow there. If you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe. Tell a music-loving friend. And if you take a moment to give us a ranking or write a short review, that helps us get listed in the recommendations for music categories. Also, come follow us on Facebook. We've got a page there. You can get extra info, new releases throughout the week. You'll be able to get a PDF with all of these recordings listed in it, and you can leave a message or comment there. If you'd like to contact us directly with any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And we can't go without mentioning our good friends over at The Same Difference, two jazz fans, one jazz standard podcast. That's another association we made through doing this. Our Mm -hmm. friends AJ and Johnny, they look at several versions of the same jazz standard in each episode. That comes out twice a month. They play little snippets from each version and they discuss the history. And they also talk about what they like and don't like, which is often very interesting. There's a link to their podcast in the description. And if you stick around to the end of the episode, you can check out their little promo. And we were guests on their show a few weeks back. And we hear that's coming out on January 1st. So that'll be a good New Year's surprise for us to listen to.
1: Yeah, they're not only informative, but they're very funny too. Yeah, they're they're funny. Fun to listen to. So I listen to them all the time. I'm a big fan.
0: And in this episode, as Mike mentioned, we're going to be playing samples for the first time for an end-of-year episode. So here's our fair use disclaimer. Music sample clips are for commentary and educational purposes. We recommend that listeners listen to the complete recordings, all of which are available on streaming services in the links provided. We also suggest that if you enjoy the music, you consider purchasing the CDs or high-quality downloads to support the artists. You're going to start this today. I'm so going to start this. So the yep.
1: classical because he's going to go there. I've got to get my samples ready here. Cause I, this year, I actually know what his 10, but he doesn't know my classical picks. And plus, I don't know his jazz picks, but right. he knows mine. So we kind of took some of the element of the surprise away. but
0: Otherwise, this would be very disorganized.
1: I decided that it would just be better for you to pick the jazz samples just because you listen right. to jazz all the time and vice versa. So that's what we did.
0: And so we won't know what samples the other is choosing, but, you know. (laughs) They're not terribly fancy. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. All right, here's my first classical pick. This goes back to episode 103, which was called Beats of Different Drummers. That's going to be symphonies number one and five from Niklas Sivalov, Swedish pianist, composer. He's been a composer for piano, and now he's... Been newly composing symphonies and this was on the Naxos label Mamo Opera Orchestra Joachim Gustafsson conducting and this was pretty exciting to get some Nordic new symphonic works they are indeed Nordic in character you can sense the Sibelius influence which he talked to us about we interviewed Nicholas it was really fascinating but you aren't left with a lot of kind of melodic themes or recurring ideas, but these are really interesting for the use of orchestral colors. There's big brass, the scenes are like changing and they're episodic and lots of exciting rhythmic passages. And when we <laughs> talked with uh, Nicholas, I really tried to find out how does he get those colors from the keyboard, yeah. you know, painted onto the orchestra. but. He couldn't really relate that genius to me, <laughs> so yeah, i just still of It's just how he, he hears it, you <laughs> know, that's yeah, what he writes, Yeah, you know? But that's I really enjoyed it. There's going to be some more recordings coming out, and I'm looking forward to that. So what do you have for a sample for Sivalov's symphonies? Well,
1: well just I got uh, symphony number one, just the begin. This is the first track, when you put the album on, this is right. what you're going to hear. I just want to mention, this album came out in October 2022, but got into our podcast in February, so. Right and this is an album you know it's big it's spacious i liked it a lot and after we talked to Steve live i liked it more because the composer can give you some little insights that right. you're not going to get on your own although the other thing happens too where you hear something and uh you know interpret it your own way and they're always interested to hear about mm-hmm. that as well anyway let's give a listen to this here we go hear that this symphony's already going places. And this is a, an 11 minute movement. Yeah. There are a lot of ideas in it. These are big movements and they're big and spacious. And uh, again, the inventiveness is really amazing in these. He's, uh, he's got a lot of ideas, a lot of melodic ideas, just really enjoyable and just great orchestration as well.
0: Yeah. So meeting Nicholas's music and his uh, very gracious personality this year, that was yeah, a real high, really high point guy. and uh, looking forward to his new music in the future. Yeah, me too. Okay. Pick number two. This comes from episode 106, Crazy Keyboards, spelled Mm. with a K. And this (laughs) is from keyboardist Anthony Romaniuk, Perpetuum on the Alpha label. This was a really fascinating recording to me. There's all kinds of different music on him. There's Ravel, Beethoven, Satie, and he uses a whole range of different instruments. And really makes you experience this music in a different way. To really appreciate this album, you're going to need the notes so that you know what he's doing and what he's using. I thought this album really captured the essence of adult music, getting deep inside the music and experiencing at little junctures and interesting contrasts in the music. I found it engaging, it's a bit daring. Sometimes it really defies your expectation of what he'll use a certain instrument for and the end result is it made me re-examine music from very old to modern because I heard it in a new way and that's why I picked it for this list.
1: We should also mention that the title Perpetuum is there because all of these works that he's chosen have a sort of perpetual motion sort of quality to them. He starts this off with John Adams' China Gates. He goes into other things like the Ravel prelude from Tumbo de Couperon and the third movement of uh, Beethoven's um, Tempest Symphony. These kind of works that are nodian and constantly moving. Mm. And uh, so we get that through, too. And then the use of all the um, different keyboards was really interesting to me, too. It really kept uh, the ear alert. So we'll hear just the opening track uh, John Adams' China Gates. Okay, now you hear that rhythm. That's pretty much the rhythm you're going to hear throughout, but he does make mm. it interesting timbrely by changing the instruments and things like that. It's a pretty interesting recording. I actually didn't have this on my on my list, so I'm mm. glad you picked this one. So there you go.
0: Okay, the next recording is going to come from episode 111 that was called Baroque and Bones. And this is on the psalm label, Royal Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by the composer Nimrod Borenstein. Right. And his Piano Concerto, another piece, Shirim, and Light and Darkness. One thing we've tried to do with the podcast, I know it's one of your goals and it's been kind of enlightening to me, is listening to contemporary music. Classical music is still being written, uh, although yeah. I think the 20th century has put off people <laughs> to listening to new classical music because they think it's scary or all dissonant. Yeah, It's not anymore. No. And so here is a really accessible contemporary composer. There's nothing to fear in his music. The music makes sense right away. The first time you listen to it, you can pull out the beauty. And I could really identify with his sense of harmony. Every time I was listening to it, I'd say, oh, I see exactly why he did that or went in this direction. And the concerto performance here, I noted has kind of a music box and sometimes chimey quality to it. It sounded really nice. I like his orchestration. There's a lot of brass and double reed tones there for timbral variety. I found this really contemplative and engaging at the same time. So new classical music I think people would like to hear and many people be able to enjoy.
1: Yeah, I actually had a bit of a back and forth with uh, Nimrod right. Bornstein, a very pleasant conversation about mm-hmm. him. He was really happy that we talked about his music, and he filled me in on a bit of what he's after. Now we heard another recording later of just solo piano works by Tra Nogoyan, well, yeah. which kind of drew this quality of like rhythmic uh, juxtapositions and complexity out even more than this album did. Mm-hmm. But the Concerto for Piano and Orchestra on this album, on the Somme label, also does a bit of that too. This is a very appealing piece uh, right at the beginning. This is also a bit of a calling card for him because it's got a chamber work and it's got some solo piano works on it too. So it features different elements of his music and is a good introduction to what he's about and what it sounds like. Let's just hear the beginning of the piano concerto. This is track one again. I've got a lot of track ones on this, but let's hear this and you can hear what Nimrod Borenstein's music sounds like. Okay, so you can already hear the rhythm slipping out of its moorings there and sort of going into yeah. different areas. I should mention that the pianist you heard on this recording is Clelia Iruzun. i right. give her a credit there, too. That's uh, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Nimrod Borenstein, by the way. And also on the album is I e Musicanti, a uh, chamber group for the chamber work, and uh, Iruzun plays the piano on the solo piano
0: works as well. All right, I think my next pick is going to surprise you. (laughs) Yeah, it did, actually. I was kind of, whoa, what's going on here? This comes from episode 116, Smoking Pipes. And those are organ pipes we're talking about there, Uh, listeners. This is uh, Tours Canticum Canticorum Caritatis by the Collegium Musical Chamber Choir, Endrik Uxverav. And this is on the alpha label. Very interesting to me, the music is meditative, the harmonies become really dense, but the flow of the music to this lyrical content is very relaxed. And the reason why I chose this one is over the years you have given me some of Chur's music to listen to. And I always found it extremely dense, (laughs) kind of like eating, you know, like a, a fudge sundae with peanuts and chocolate syrup on top and a little bit goes a long way.
1: But let's not make the mistake of thinking that it's sugary. It's really not. It no, can be no, no. really challenging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, since I had this kind of desire to understand his harmonic language in Little Musical World, I found this vocal recording easier to grasp than his instrumental works. It pulled me in and I could get a little deeper sense of his musical language. And that's interesting for me because I'm much more of an instrumental Classical listener than uh, vocal, but this one had some qualities that really made me pay attention. And that's why I chose it. Erkis
1: Ventur, I've been listening to his music since I was in my 20s. He was um, introduced to me by a composer friend. His music was introduced to me. I've just been listening to it ever since. He's very inspired by rock music, although you're not going to mm-hmm. really get too much of that on this album. And uh, it was exciting at the time, and still is. I mean, he's gotten older and a little more sophisticated in his writing. Right. But this is a really departure for me as far as his music goes because i'm used to his orchestral music which got mm-hmm. recorded a lot let's uh, sample the title work canticum canticorum caritatis this is track eight on the album He is a composer of intriguing sounds, even yes. vocally. I think you he heard some of those great harmonies there.
0: All right, next, from episode 121, a transmusical experience. Got the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Domingo Hindoyan playing Roberto Sierra's Symphony No. 6 Sinfonietta for string orchestra, two pieces for orchestra. And there's some other shorter pieces on there as well as on the Onyx label. Again contemporary classical music that's really easy to listen to and very exciting. It's rhythmic, instantly appealing. I really like his orchestration. He uses the full palette of the orchestra, really good low brass parts, lots of percussion. There's some west side story kind of uh, moments in this music. Instantly appealing. Anyone can enjoy this. Yeah, and he's got like a Latin
1: vibe to it too. Right Now, this is played by the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Domingo Hindoyan, and they're excellent, clear performances, beautifully recorded. Now, I did have an issue about this because I thought that more of the groove could have been pulled out, and I think that's generally true with any Latin sort of uh, right. composers these days. Now, this used to be the case with jazz-inspired works as well, like Gershwin, like European right. orchestras would have trouble with the swing, but that's not the case anymore. They've figured that out. But this is still not in the mainstream, and it really mm-hmm. needs to be. Still, this is a great recording. It's really a beautifully realized rendition of the score, and uh, it'll give you a good idea of what his music is like. Now, a lot of Sierra's music has been recorded on the uh, Naxos label. They've made it a project to record a lot of his music. I should go and listen to that. So if you like this, you can go for that. I'm gonna sample the first track, uh, which is uh, an opening sort of track. It's called Mm. uh, Alegria. And I think uh, that title describes the sound of the track too. Let's listen. just goes on (laughs) with that great energy as does most of the rest of the album there are kind of slow movements as well but
0: okay next from episode 122 (laughs) guitarosaurus it was one of our (laughs) guitar focused (laughs) episodes we've got the eden Stell guitar duo with scarlatti sonatas and this was on Duels record label so what we've got here is harpsichord music but played on two guitars and i just thought that that was a really interesting idea They can approximate the sound of a harpsichord when they want, but they also get a lot of expanded possibilities for different types of attacks and tones and the dynamics, all these things the guitar can do to interpret these compositions. With two guitars, they can divide the work up differently, and each hand on the guitar has a different task there. They work seamlessly together. It's like one mind and one performer. It gave a whole new dimension to this Baroque music. Again, it gave me a new experience of something old, and that's why I chose it.
1: The performances here were really amazing. You have yes. two guitars, but they're hard to pull apart. I mean, you can hear them in headphones, who's playing what, right. but nevertheless, there's some amazing passages where you'll have this bass end to you know mm-hmm. high end run, a scale run, and there's a seamless transition between the two guitars. Like one guitar won't do it, the other one mm-hmm. will take over uh, from that. I guess it's the way it's written. Anyway, I was looking at this and there are, let me see, 10 tracks on this album. And I was like, "Huh, yeah, I wonder which one I'll use." So I decided I'd go through the ball, and I turned on track number one, and I was like, "Oh, okay, we'll use that because okay. it was just fantastic." <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> but all ten of these tracks are fantastic. Let's just hear the opening of this. You'll get into this right away. Here we go. No, that, that this is piano or keyboard music that's imitating the guitar, and here we're hearing it on the guitar, so you kind of right. hear what those effects are supposed to be. The repeated notes on the piano are supposed to be a, like a strumming or a right picked guitar, you know. So it's pretty interesting to Exciting me. Exciting stuff, yeah.
0: Next from episode 123, we pumped up pianos. Another contemporary composer, Erat Ichmuratov, his piano concerto and viola concerto. This is viola concerto number one. I actually sampled the piano concerto, yeah, <laughs> but maybe right. I should have done the viola. And this is on the Chandos label. Jean-Philippe Sylvester on piano, I believe. Yes, yeah,
1: Sylvester's Sil- on the piano. Elvira Mizbakova mm-hmm. is on the viola, on the right. viola concerto. And the London Symphony Orchestra. Conducted by the composer.
0: Really enjoyable stuff here. Contemporary works, but in a familiar romantic style. Ichimonotov's a Russian-born composer now in Canada. But the Russian character runs through this. It's in his blood. I love Russian music. Some of my favorite classical composers, Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff, yeah. Mitner. Yeah. Melodic, passionate. The colors of the orchestra and dynamic contrasts are enjoyable. They balance out the soloists. I love the orchestrations here. Big brass swells, a good use of percussion, great melodies. Can't go wrong with this one.
1: What do you think? Should I go for the, um, the viola <laughs> play the piano <laughs> one. Play the piano. The piano
0: one. Yeah.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah, I liked this too. Now, actually, this has the expansiveness of, we talked about uh, Sivlov, Niklas right. Sivlov at the beginning. This has the same kind of expansiveness, except that it it's not Nordic. It's actually more romantic. And yes. it kind of, the orchestration reminded me of Rachmaninoff a little bit, mm-hmm. but he's got those Russian themes in there that kind of make the romantic more folk-like and more sort of 20th century as well. Because in the 20th century, composers started um, exploring uh, folk music or mm-hmm. music from the land. And you hear a bit of that in this too. You're not gonna hear that in this sample. These works are both very long. They have, well, not very, they're not Mahler long, but these are long movements. They're all like 15 minutes, right. 10 minutes long. And they're also, like the love, of, full of um, event and uh, ideas and they just keep coming. Let's give a listen to this. This is the first movement of the piano concerto, the very beginning. tonal very romantic and if you're like me and you're lucky enough to have this on a cd it is in fact a super audio cd so you get mm. that big orchestral sound bath when you yeah. listen to it there's a lot of great colors in this work as well
0: if you like rock on and off medner you're gonna enjoy this music and it's new and fresh it's yeah, funny you should mention medner because he's coming up <laughs> oh wow okay all right my next pick another vocal one mike you're probably surprised
1: well, not really, because you do like your Renaissance music. I there, do.
0: So Renaissance yeah. vocals are my favorite. I like the purity of voice, and it doesn't get any more pure than this one from episode 138 Giant Genre Steps, Cinquecentos, Dasser, Misa Pater Nostra, and other works. And he's a very interesting musical figure, son Hyperion label. I'll let you talk about the history and his importance there. But he has five voices. You hear that high counter tenor to the left in the recording, it's very spacious, passing tones and cadences had my ears pulled in right through the whole recording, wonderful phrasing and balance. It is a bit of one character of sound, so you may want to, you know, sort of listen to this recording in shorter segments, but I was really drawn into these beautiful vocals on this recording.
1: Yeah. This was a big year for Ludwig Doss' music, who was uh, pretty much forgotten uh, and he's rediscovered really just this year. Pretty much because he was born between two other composers who were more sort of um, became more of an inspiration right. after him. So he was just unfortunate to have been born when he was. Sort of like if you think about Johann Nepomuk Hummel, one of the mm-hmm. great composers of his day, who <laughs> was just totally right. overshadowed by Beethoven. <laughs> you know, so you don't hear his music, but it's really good. Anyway, Dosser's music there was um, an album called Misa Force Sulman and Misa Prater Riram by the Huelgas Ensemble that drew a lot of attention earlier in the year, and it won a gramophone award for the uh, early music award. Hyperion put this out later. They had recorded it later, and it has more variety than that album that does. That one has just um, two masses. This uh, goes into some of his music for Catholic masses, and then he wrote music for Protestant congregations as well later on. And this is a sort of a collection of the two. And um, they're going to do another album next year that's going to continue this. I guess we'll talk about that one too, because we like this one so much. Let's sample the... uh, Misa Paternoster, since that's the uh, title track. This is um, from the um, sung Kyrie. Now, what happens is we get the Kyrie chants. Kyrie is Lord have mercy. That's that part. And we're just going to hear the word um, Christe repeated in this. Christ is Christ. And, you know, appropriate for Christmas, I guess. Sure. But um, this is the Christe part in full harmony. Let's uh, hear this. Track four. Christ. It's amazing what you can do with only two syllables, although we did hear five (laughs) syllables. Christe Eleison, eleison, maybe six syllables.
0: All right, next, a composer that is going to play large in the memories of this year. And he
1: just snuck in at the end.
0: (laughs) He did as well. That's right. We've got Bertrand Chamayus recording letters to Eric Satie on the Erato label. And I've known this music most of my life. Most people do. It's got a unique sparseness to it, but as we found out, there's a lot that can be pulled out in multiple genres from it. His music always has enough space to help you get inside and enjoy all that's going on in there. Here, the programming makes you experience the familiar pieces quite differently than before, and they're presented here in conjunction with John Cage's works. So you never know with Cage if he's going to give you something really beautiful or something that <laughs> will puzzle you a little bit. And it makes this program really interesting. And in some of his compositions, he's you know sounding quite like Satie and other ones, he's got prepared piano. And that breaks up the Satie program, which is presented in a unique sequence as well this made me rediscover the music and it set me up for one of the recordings we'll talk about in jazz as well
1: now the performances on all of these tracks is just is really fantastic but it's really the program that makes this album really mm-hmm. special and one of the great piano recordings of the year there's another one that I'll be talking about uh, so this is one of the two right. really great piano recordings that I heard this year. You need to listen to it from beginning to end to really get the sense of that but this is going to be a, I think a new benchmark in Sati uh, performances uh, Yu does kind of give a bit of a different interpretation of a lot of these familiar works especially the Gnocien which again don't have any uh, bar lines right. in them so you can really interpret those rhythms any way you want and he does change it well he doesn't change anything but he just plays it a little differently than what we're familiar with and for me the Pascal Roger recording is the one that I'm most familiar with so let's listen to one of my favorite works the third Gymnopédie the first one is the famous one but I love the third one so much so let's just hear the opening of this one stately sad this music has a <laughs> contemplating the ruins and what once was quality to it maybe that makes what makes it so appropriate for our time as we're watching everything around us change
0: all right and my last pick also from last week's episode sliding in at the end paul Renitsky's three-string oh, yeah. quartets by the alma viva quartet and this was on the cpo label Well, we've heard lots of Rynitsky. It's been a big discovery for us on the podcast here and meeting uh, Daniel Bernardson, the uh, researcher responsible for getting a lot of this music into modern scores and made accessible to people. He wasn't involved directly with this recording, but why I chose this one, it's our first experience of Rynitsky's chamber music. We've heard all orchestral works, and so it was interesting to see if we could recognize and identify his personality that we've come to know through orchestra works in this kind of music, and I believe that we could. Uh, it was an interesting contrast. There's a lot of his traits here, the gift for melody, endless melody with yeah. these really long movements, quirky little harmonic diversions, rhythmic rushing ahead to pauses and then pulling back, uh, packed with lots of ideas that are developed not in sonata form, right? Well, yeah, they're not
1: in the traditional sonata form. They right. do take on the feeling of a sonata because I guess that was just in the air at the time. But you can't just identify this is this, this is this, you know.
0: So it keeps you on your toes wondering where things are going. And yeah, so hopefully more of these will get recorded. There's a lot of them. There they're 54. That are, yeah, a lot of them <laughs> that are there. So this was a nice surprise to get at the end of the year.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, Reniski has made our year end list, I think, all three years that we've been doing this podcast. So I think the uh the shadow of the Rensky scholar, Daniel Bernardson, looms yes. large on this it's podcast. Big. Yeah, he 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 talked some sense into us when, yes. <laughs> um, when we interviewed him. And now we're we're fans. All right, so we're gonna hear um my favorite of the three string quartets on this was of course the most complicated one which is the last one he wrote, the string quartet in Mm -hmm. D minor, opus 49. I believe it's the last one he wrote. I'm pretty sure I read that. This is going to be the first movement, Allegro Asai, and um, we're not going to hear enough of it to be able to you know, sense the um, form or how the different uh, themes interact with each other, but you can just get a feeling for what this is. This is the um, Alma Viva Quartet, and they play on period instruments, so you'll hear there's no vibrato in the playing. They're going for that period what we believe to be the period sound. So let's listen to this. Immediately appealing, right away. You're in that sort of Mozartian classical world. Right. With him, Great with Haydn, so. and with really the composers from that era.
0: All right. Those are my 10 picks. So over to you, Mike. I don't know what your picks are yet, so you surprise me. Okay.
1: All right. So I'm going to do this. I actually do have a top four in classical music, okay. but I'm going to do these in the order they were released. Okay. And I'll mention uh, which ones are in my top four. My first pick here comes from episode 102. Master Keys, which I think is our best uh, episode title of the year. I really like that, <laughs> that one. That was a good one, yeah. Yeah, that was on February 13th. And this is a recording of uh, music by Clara and Robert Schumann. Uh, their piano concertos. Beatrice Rana is the pianist. She's an Italian pianist. And she's accompanied by the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, conducted by Yannick neze seguin And this is on the Warner Classics label. Now, the reason I liked this one so much is because of the... Uh, the feeling that the two of them are writing these kind of musical love letters to each other. And you got that sense from, um, the album, the way the album is programmed. So it was uh, we actually did this, it was February 13th. So it was close to Valentine's day Right. and, uh, it was really the program that appealed to me. And of course, Rana has this great, uh, way with the music too. So she makes it sound fresh and new. And I just really enjoyed this album.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed this. The performances I remember were really good and the maturity and taste in her playing was really nice and everything was really spot on with the orchestra combination too and I remember just being really nice flow of program as well.
1: Okay, let's hear the third movement, one of my favorite movements of music uh from the Robert Schumann Piano Concerto in A minor, Opus 54. Uh, this is we've probably heard this a million times, but I just really love it. So, here goes. All right, and some great uh, mm. piano playing there. I like the joyful like skipping motion that she gives that sort of last movement there too. Yes. Okay, my second pick here. Let me see. This is from uh, March 13th episode 106 Crazy Keyboards with a K <laughs> crazy. And this is uh Nikolai Kapustin Piano Concerto number 5 and Concerto Opus 104 and Sinfonietta Opus 49, played by Frank Dupree, who's really amazing at this music. It also features Adrian Brendel and the Rundfunk Symphony Orchestra Berlin, conducted by Dominique Beikirch. <laughs> yeah, there's kind of a jazziness to this um, piece, and uh, I think Dupree captures it really well. This series, this is a series now of Capustin's piano music. I think he's going to record all of the piano concertos eventually. I should mention this is on the Capriccio label, if I didn't say that. He really
0: gets the spirit of this music really well. This is really exciting. The rhythmic and mood changes within any movement are really sudden, and there's many. (laughs) I I remember commenting, I thought I needed some Ritlin to uh, listen to all the way through one track because everything is constantly changing its attention in there. Very impressive in creativity, and these piano parts are really virtuosic. The playing here is outstanding. Exciting. As you say, it's classical music, but with a jazz spirit in it.
1: Yeah, and it's got just this wonderful life to it. The playing is just fantastic on this. Give this a listen. This is the, uh, we're about a minute and a half into the uh, piano concerto, which is a one-movement work, so let's listen to this. I started that a bit early because I wanted to get that transition in. So, you already mm. have this really lively theme. And this is only the first minute of this 20 minute work. Yeah. There's a lot of invention in this. So, next, I'm going to go for my number two classical music album of the year. And this is um, this is from episode 109, Spirit and Swing, which came out on April 3rd. And this is Federico Monpo's Musica Cayada
2: by uh, Stephen Hoff. I loved this recording, right.
1: I think this is the best recording. Of this work like ever so I said that there were two great piano recordings this year I should say three this is the third one <laughs> okay right Stephen Huff is the pianist this is on Hyperion Records and oh, just meditative and he captures this uh, as well as anybody these are really hard works to put across and I think Stephen Hoff is just has a real feel for mom music as we heard in an earlier recording of his and this one's just really perfect I listen to this all the time
0: really these kind of short pieces They reveal a lot, unfolding ideas. I think I described it like a box of chocolates, you know, there are all these little different flavors inside each one. Hmm. Huff's playing is impeccable, such a soft touch. I do like the material on his 1998 recording of Mumpo better, those compositions, but the playing here is just amazing.
1: Yeah, this is more of a spiritual work. He's reaching for silence, Mumpo, on this, and I think uh, Stephen Huff is Up to the task here. Let's listen to the first track uh, labeled Angelico. This is Musica Cayeta 1 from the first notebook, number 1, Angelico. And that sparseness is what you're going to hear throughout the album. It's Mm -hmm. a really beautiful, really almost crystalline work. Highly recommended. Okay, my next choice. This is my number three classical album of the year. This is from the Haydn 2032 project. It's volume 13, Horn Signal. This is Il Giardino Armonico conducted by Giovanni Antonini on the Alpha label. This... Series has been mostly hits, one or two misses, and this is a big hit. I really liked this. Yeah. It has fantastic brass, <laughs> mm-hmm. period brass, I should say, in it, vividly recorded. And Antonini and the Il Giardino Armonico are not the best behaved Of classical musicians they will um, pull out rhythms that just make you sit up in your seat with some of the uh, things they do and uh, this um, symphony actually invites that and there's gonna be more of them actually on this um, podcast a little later
0: I remember writing that these were very energetic performances and I was engaged by the instrumental tones especially the horns which steal the show but I also really enjoyed the earthy sound of the strings on this recording
1: all right, let's hear a bit of uh, the first movement of Symphony Number no. 31 in D major, the one that's nicknamed the horn signal. <laughs> ¶¶ Long enough to get to that uh, <laughs> to that cadence, yeah. Fantastic sound. I thought the uh, Foyer Symphony, the second one on the album, which is number fifty-nine, Symphony number fifty-nine, mm-hmm. was also excellent. All right, moving on. We're going to hear another uh, contemporary composer, one that um, also we had the pleasure of not interviewing but uh, communicating with, and he mm-hmm. actually drops us comments every once in a while too. This is from uh, episode one hundred twenty-five, Jazz Renderings. Put up on July 31st. Sergei Akunov. Oh, yes. Album Jazz. And this also features works by Poulenc and Messiaen. The artists are Julia Igonina on the violin and Maxim Emelianichev on the piano, on the aparte label. So Akunov's work, Jazz, isn't inspired by jazz music. It's inspired by a book by uh, Henri Matisse of his um, sort of paper cutouts called Jazz. Right. And while he's not painting a tone painting of any of these, he's kind of going by the mood of these um, various um, artworks in the book in putting this work together. It turns out to be a pretty gentle work and a very enjoyable one too. The rest of the program featuring Poulenc's Violin Sonata and the fifth movement of Messiaen's Quartet for the End of Time also just just add to the atmosphere and it tends to be a pretty atmospheric album. I really enjoyed the sounds that Iganina and Emelianyshev made on this and really the ones that Akunov
0: composed. Yeah, I was impressed with the synergy of their performance, really good communication, It's sensitive and expressive. I was trying to, you know, not directly associate the music with the images of the artwork because he said they're not intended to be experienced that way. Nevertheless, they do evoke a lot of images in your mind of things happening or interactions. So that music has this sort of associative quality to it.
1: Yeah, now one of the anchoring um, works he has here is called Lagoon, and he has uh, Mm -hmm. several movements of this. I think there are three. We're going to hear the first one. This is the opening of the entire work Lagoon 1. All right. Very quiet. Yeah. Anyway, I hope listeners will listen to this work in its entirety, the entire 15 movements of, right. of this work. It's mostly of that sort of calm quality. Some of them are a little more lively. So, right. Next, episode 129, Metal Melodies. Hmm. And I told you Nikolai Medner would be coming back, and here he is, Medner in England. Oh, okay. Um, this features the Violin Sonata number 3, a work that I really love. And the uh, artists here are Natalia Lomako on the violin, Alexander Karpeyev on the piano. And we also have some uh, Metner songs, which I'm really not that familiar with, sung by the baritone Theodore Platt. And this is on the Somme label. The third Violin Sonata is a an enormous work. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about 45 minutes long. And just really big-boned with a lot of great, even Russian-sounding themes. There are like bell sounds in it. And it just really grabbed me the first time I heard it. And this is one of the best recordings of it I've heard. There's another really good one, I think, featuring Chloe Hanslip on the Hyperion label. But this one, I think, is
0: the one I'm going to go to from now on. Great violin tone here. I enjoyed the interpretation on this recording. The piano sonata has a lighter kind of first movement, pleasant melodies, and I like the spaciousness. The songs on here I found mostly brooding and kind of leaning to darker harmonies, but I liked Noon especially on there. I think it's track 12. I found it quite unique.
1: All right, so let's hear a sample of uh, violin sonata number three, the second movement, the scherzo. This is the opening of that movement. Exciting. Let's um, get a little Russian dance uh, quality there. Okay, from the same episode, Metal Melodies, episode 129, from August 28th, Dependent Arising. Oh. Yeah, this is um, violin concertos by Shostakovich and by Earl Manin. And this is uh, Rachel Barton Pine on the violin, Royal Scottish National Orchestra, conducted by Tito Munoz. And this is on the Cedilla label. Now, what intrigued me about this, I did like the Shostakovich violin concerto played by uh, Rachel Barton Pine, a violinist that I really admire. She really is very adventurous in her choice of material and in her approach. But the Earl Manin work, it's inspired by heavy metal music. Right. And it's also got a Buddhist theme to it. And uh, the both of these <laughs> just really kind of intrigued me. It's kind of a harsh sounding work, although it is tonal. So it's, you know, followable. But if you're someone who really likes the just the grittiness of sound in rock music, I mean, this isn't really a rock work. But heavy metal musicians are really inspired by classical music in a lot of cases. But the um, reverse usually isn't the case. (laughs) But we're kind of getting a a version of that here. And it's kind of exciting for me. I really liked this work. And um, I kind of liked what it had to say also about you know, tonally anyway, about the whole Buddhist idea of um, illusion
0: and enlightenment. This Shostakovich work is very brooding and it wears me out. I understand what it's (laughs) supposed to express. It is well played with good tone. But the Menin was really surprising. Cool orchestration, lots of dynamic percussion and brass. The violin shredding is uh, quite impressive, but there are some nice, sweet contrasts in there as well. And the development that takes place is really unpredictable, keeps you surprised throughout your listening experience. Very unique. Yeah, so we're going to hear the
1: sample of the uh, Earl Menin, a violin concerto in C minor, dependent arising. Third movement, Gate Gate, Paragate, Parasamgati, Bodhisvaha, which is the Heart Sutra in Buddhism. Let's listen to how this begins. Yeah, when we think of Buddhist works, we <laughs> usually think of calmness, don't we? Um, but yeah. not, not in this one. That's another one that's not for date night. Yeah, not for date night. <laughs> keep that keep that away. All right, my next one is from episode 131, Maximum Music, which went up on September 11th. Mozart Piano Concertos 9 and 24 played by Lars Vogt, who we lost last year, accompanied by the Orchestra de Chambre de Paris. And this is on the Ondine label. Vogt, yeah, he he died in 2022, and this is apparently his last recording. He recorded this when he was sick. And In this recording, he puts across the joy of just piano playing and really of Mozart's music itself. I just thought this was such a beautiful recording and uh, had to include it here, as it may be the last time we'll ever hear Lars Vogt on a new recording. I think this might be the last one.
0: This was on my first list when I got down Mm -hmm. to 30 because of the quality of the performance, which is graceful and smooth. The piano tone has this wonderful glimmer here. Very well balanced between the piano and orchestra too, great dynamics. And the phrasing and flow, as you say, this is a great Mozart performance.
1: Yeah, really beautiful playing by Folk himself. You really feel like uh, he sort of got out of his suffering for a while to just put mm-hmm. this really beautiful statement across. Now, we're going to hear the third movement of Piano Concerto Number 9 in E-flat major, K271, nicknamed the Jeune Homme Concerto. This is the Rondeau theme. some interpretations just so beautifully shaped throughout it's just a real pleasure to listen to this album next on the same episode number 131 maximum music we have Carl Nielsen the concertos and the three um, soloists are Bomsori on the violin Ulla Milman on the flute and Johnny Tessier on the um, clarinet this is performed by the Danish National Symphony Orchestra conducted by Fabio Luisi, on the Deutsche Grammophon label. Earlier in the year, we had the symphonies, and I thought that was a new benchmark maybe for these uh, yes. works conducted by Fabio Luisi. And now he's um, gone on and recorded the three concertos on one album. And they're three really great performances, really full of character. And he pulls out a lot of just fascinating orchestral details. The soloists are all great. Bom in the Violin Concerto really makes this work special. That's a more straightforward work. The flute and clarinet concertos are a little more, shall we say, modernist. They're a little more knotty, and you need to really be listening carefully to these. But uh, all three performances are just fantastic in this, and I just like the whole shaping of the uh, works. This is not on a CD yet, and I'm really waiting for (laughs) Deutsche Gramophone to release these because they're really spectacular and belong right
0: up there with those symphonies. This was on my initial list as well, mm-hmm. because Nielsen's one of my favorite symphonic yeah, I composers. Too. I own other recordings of these, but here are the enthusiastic performances and the huge sound really got oh, yeah. my attention. I think I like the violin concerto the best because the orchestral parts have a lot of familiar elements from Nielsen's symphonies, which I never get tired of hearing. This is interesting and enjoyable performance of this music.
1: Okay, and I thought I would go for the... Uh First, move into the flute concerto. But I'm going to start sort of in the six minutes in when the flute finds its noble theme and plays that. And I thought I'd give the sample of this. So let's hear that. Now I should warn listeners, it doesn't stay like that. <laughs> the flute <laughs> really is agitated for most of the uh, work and sort of does a lot of sort of fluttering right. around in an aggravated fashion, which is really nice. Okay, next. One from uh, episode 134, Mediterranean Moves. This is from October 2nd. Topos, 20th century Greek orchestral music. Oh. I really took to this. This is features Noah Inui on the violin performed by the Thessaloniki State Symphony Orchestra conducted by Zoe Tsoukanou on the Naxos label. These modal works, they're just beautifully orchestrated. There's a lot of French Impressionist sort of orchestration in them, but they have those wonderful Greek modes. And there's also, they rely heavily on wind instruments a lot. I think they like the referencing the aulos from ancient Greek music. But I just really enjoyed the entire sound of these and just go to them quite often.
0: I remember writing here that they're all ear candy, folk yeah. melodies, dancey rhythms, and those Greek modes. I especially enjoyed the woodwind parts. The dances with only strings weren't as enjoyable because then you missed the woodwinds, but it was still very nice with the strings too.
1: Yeah, so I um, chose the first track for this. This is by Solon Mikalidis, Dawn at the Parthenon. And I'm gonna play the end of this track, Just it starts very quietly and the sun slowly comes up and by the end the sun is uh, blazing away, so let's hear that part. in Greece both modern and ancient nice next my album of the year from episode 134 Mediterranean Moves October 2nd Monteverdi Vespro della Beata Vergine this is performed (laughs) by Pygmalion conducted by Raphael Pichon on the Harmonia Mundi label this was just such a spectacular recording. Another benchmark. We've had a few of these this year. Right. Um, and I think this is a be- a new benchmark for this work. I think taking over from the old Gardner recording, which is still great. The singing on this album is just absolutely spectacular, as is the recording and the uh just the grandness of the uh music. Really spectacular. You know, as though the singing and the um the choral singing wasn't enough, we have some of the best um interpreters of Baroque vocal music out there today Emilio Gonzalez Toro and Zachary Wilder
0: this was overwhelming in the music (laughs) and sound here so good solo voices choir all kinds of combinations of instruments I really liked the fireworks of Cornetti that sort of bloom out of this it's a great sonic experience definitely play this on a great sound system or your best headphones yeah, now I probably should have given you a sample of that, but there's
1: just so much mm-hmm. on this album that's different and spectacular, and I just loved it so much. Let's listen to track seven, Duo Seraphim, and this is uh, Milo gonzalez Toto and Zachary Wilder duetting. Yeah, this it's hard to know where to go with it, these <laughs> samples, but you get an idea of the voices there. Okay, next, from episode 136, Trumpet Soiree, we have a non-trumpet album. <laughs> <laughs> Pietro Antonio Locatelli, Il Virtuoso, Il Poeta, Violin Concertos and Concerti Grossi. This has Isabel Faust on the violin. And she's uh, with Il Giardino Armonico, conducted by Giovanni Antonini again. So this is the second time on my list that we're hearing that ensemble. This is on the Harmonia Mundi label. And to be honest, Isabel Faust is on two works on this album, the two violin concerti. But to me, this is really a Giardino Armonico album. And it's kind of interesting because Il Giardino Armonico, of course, they're their usual... um, unruly selves on the Concerti Grossi, and they kind of rein themselves in a bit when Isabel Faust plays on the Violin Concerti. But she kind of takes a cue from them and really does some really interesting stuff as well. This is a really entertaining album, I thought.
0: I remember noting that her sound blends well with the ensemble, probably by design here, and her tone is really Magical as well as the technique. I liked these compositions with unique cadences. There's a lot of little surprises in there. This is just great Baroque music performed to the highest level.
1: Yeah, it's kinda of unique really. It doesn't it's mm. not really a comfortable listen, although I guess, you know, because of the harmony it could be thought of that. But let's listen to a sample. This is track five, violin concerto in A major opus three number eleven, about a minute into the first movement allegro. Kind of sounds like someone whistling. Yeah, it's pretty so amazing. High. Yeah, so that's Isabel Faust. It's a really surprising and really entertaining album. Okay, and finally, my number four album of the year, really, is the last one I'm going to talk about, and another benchmark piano album. I think this is Bach Goldberg Variations, played by Víkingur Olafsson on the Deutsche Gramophone label. This is from episode 139, Piano, Piano Everywhere, from November 6th. Now, I had mentioned on the podcast that. Vikangur has like sort of um staccato style of playing and it kind of reminded me of sort of those digital curves where you see the points on the curve and (laughs) there's no actual line connecting them all but you imagine the line and I kind of felt like that you as the listener are sort of imagining the musical lines as he's playing these sort of like Mm -hmm. sort of musical points on this album I thought that like the um two famous Glenn Gould recordings that this one uh, is unique and no one's ever gonna do anything sort of like this again. It's a fantastic performance full of integrity and his own unique approach.
0: This was on my initial list, of course, because he's one of my favorite pianists. Yeah, he's really special. Fluidity, speed, continuity. I've enjoyed everything he's recorded just because of the musicality and technique and the unique interpretation every time, and this is no exception, everyone should hear this recording.
1: Yeah, now I'm sure everybody thinks I'm gonna sample the theme, the the famous aria, but you'd be wrong, I'm gonna go for (laughs) something that's more vikingur about this. We hear him right away, variation one of that theme, and we can hear that staccato style that he's gonna use in a lot of this. There are legato bits in it when he sees fit, but let's listen to the first variation. This is track two on the album. some incredible speeds on some of the tracks yes. on this too and this isn't even the fastest uh, that he mm. plays on the album which is amazing amazing stuff and there we go those are the classical picks of the year from your adult music podcasters
0: and on to jazz Yes, over to the jazz side and again here Mike has made his jazz picks and then I've rounded out with my own that uh, don't overlap with his so he doesn't know my picks I know his but he doesn't know what samples I'm gonna play from these recordings no I feel like I'm on a game show <laughs> <laughs> what's the prize just great music that's all I guess the listeners unless they
1: looked at the playlist first you know feel the same way all right so let's uh, start with uh, jazz picks now I do have a number one jazz pick, and I suspect that it's the same one as Russ. It's a special album for us. I don't know. He might have liked something better. But I'm going to go in the order that these were uh, released. And my first jazz pick is from episode 102, Master Keys, from February 13th, Kenny Barron, The Source, on Artwork Records. This is Kenny Barron's solo. And I was just amazed by his many uh, different styles that he's able to kind of not only playing but playing in the same mm-hmm. work I just was riveted by his whole musical vocabulary on this just hearing him solo we've heard him on a lot of um, recordings, sort of um you know playing in different styles depending on where he is but solo it's really amazing he's on his own he could do what he wants and he uh, does quite a lot this is a great piano solo jazz record I'd say
0: that's right we always say he's one of the classiest pianists and he's a really great accompanist when he's behind someone he makes them sound the best they can be I believe he's 79 years old when this was recorded and it's his first solo album since his 1981 recording Kenny Barron at the piano so yeah this is a really special recording it's on Artwork Records it came out January 20th so right at the beginning of the year on this recording there's a variety of material his originals, also some Ellington, Thelonious Monk. The one I've picked is one of his original compositions. It's the sixth track. It's called Dolores Street, and I think it just shows off his classiness. So let's take a listen to this.
1: Yeah, beautiful playing. Okay, my next pick. This is my number two. Oh. Or pick number two, let's say, is episode 103, Beats of Different Drummers, from February 20th. Drummer Gaz Hughes' album, Mm. Beboptical Illusion. (laughs) This is on Bebop Records. Now, you would think that the title would be enough to get this... uh (laughs) <laughs> to listen to, but it turns out that the music on this record is great too. It swings really hard, and it's kind of a some old school jazz. And the enthusiasm and the um the the rhythmic energy of this uh, really had me throughout. I really enjoyed this right from the beginning. This was on my list as soon as we uh, heard it. I said, right, "This is going to be on the year end list." You know, way back in uh,
0: February. So, yeah, Gaz Hughes is an up and coming. Drummer in the UK. He in two thousand nineteen. He got fifth place in the British Jazz Awards. In twenty twenty, he had his debut album, Plays Art Blakey is the title, and then after that he had Bebop Operation, <laughs> <laughs> and now we've got Bebop Optical Illusion, and the next one is coming out in February. Okay, yeah. and we've already got a copy of that. We're going to feature it for him because we've kept in touch with Gaz. He's a really enthusiastic guy. So on this recording, you've got Gaz Hughes on drums, and all compositions, so drummer-composer. Andrzej Baranak on piano, a fabulous pianist, and Ed Harrison on double bass, and we're just going to go ahead and sample the title track, Beboptical Illusion. So strap in and get ready to swing. Basically, Rhythms changes tune with a really happy melody, and you hear all those great drum rhythms just coming up, bubbling underneath there. A lot of fun. We're really looking forward to hearing what he comes up with next.
1: I think that track sounds like uh, what doing this podcast felt like this year. It was really fun (laughs) listening to all this music and talking about it. All right. Third pick, Nick Green, Green on the Scene on the Cellar Live label. This is from episode 113, American Rhythm and Moods. Right. Uh, From May 1st. And this had like a 1960s sort of feel to it that just always pulls me in. Again, also very energetic playing on this album. And I just, uh, again, took to this right away
0: as well. Right. A debut recording here. Nick Green on alto sax with some other big names around New York here. Joe Magnarelli on trumpet. Jeb Patton on piano. Mike Karn on bass. Kenny Washington on drums. So we've got a young saxophonist here and he's going to pay tribute to some of you know the greats of saxophone we've got uh, charlie parker's red cross on here a couple original tunes from himself also a tribute to the great charles mcpherson and one standard uh, the song is you jerome kern but i chose one of his originals track seven ukraine that's y-o-u-k-r-a-i-n-e it's a song for ukraine and when i first saw the title i thought it's going to be a ballad or something but it's not it's a real bopper and kind Mm -hmm. of exciting so let's take a listen to this a break there for a Magnarelli solo, but let's hear some of Green's uh, saxophone a young player to keep an ear out for. Yeah, okay. My next pick is Gabriel
1: Trio Viewpoint. This is from episode 115, Euro Piano, from May 15th on the Alice Jazz label. Now I really like his very elegant, very clean, Playing style, and yet this uh, album also swung a lot too. Those British pianists can really swing. These British musicians, we heard Gaz Hughes earlier, uh, Gabriel Letch and Trio, and there were two other albums from England this year that I kind of wanted to include on this list, but wound up not doing because uh, I didn't want to just I didn't want them all to dominate the list. But they were just really fun records, and this was one of them. Uh, there are a few ballads on this too. It just put me in a in a really good place. Let's just say it's pretty traditional sounding and just
0: really great playing. So this is an album of all of his original compositions. It's something he said he had been wanting to do for a while. So Gabriel Lachin on piano and all compositions, Jeremy Brown on bass, and Joe Farnsworth, crossing the pond, Hmm. as they say, on drums. And I'll just play some of the first track, Says Who. It's a piece inspired by George Gershwin's But Not For Me. about great swinging and nice piano playing
1: yeah how can you not love that it's just great the thing about these records too is that you know we work with a few uh british uh people they're not even in the neighborhood of this kind of cheerfulness i don't really understand where this comes from they aren't swinging cats no they're not swinging cats here (laughs) we need you guys to come over here and put the swing back into the people here anyway fifth pick this is one we both really liked a lot. Yes. Jim Alfredson, uh, Family Business on the Positone label. This is from episode 116 Smoking Pipes. Mm -hmm. May 22nd and this is an organ work and we know you know how much we both love the Hammond organ if Mm -hmm. you listen to this podcast this is really we heard a few records with the Hammond organ this year but this one really stood out for me the playing was just really great on it and just like the whole sound of this record
0: yeah I love this this was gonna be one of my picks if you hadn't chosen it and it's got all of uh, some of the monster players we love Michael Deese on trombone Alex Sipiagin on trumpet EJ Strickland on drums Kevin Jones on percussion in addition on here and yeah this is great Alfred's has got this most wonderful sounding organ tones some clavinet on here as well and you know I've been following him on Facebook the interesting thing about him is not only does he play the Hammond organ he also can take these things apart and repair them in addition to all types of keyboards and other electronic things so he's always posting all of his uh, things he's taking apart and repairing but this album is just so much fun it's just got great grooves everywhere. I just want to sample every track for you, but it was hard to pick one. So I'll go with track three, Foster Blues. I'm guessing it's for Ronnie Foster. It's a great shuffle feel, and you're going to enjoy this right away. So let's take a listen to it. That that one go on long because I don't want to stop it. It's so right? good.
1: But you you may as well do that to the whole album. I think if you uh, put you that just on. don't
0: want it to end. It's a unique one there too. It's got like an 18 bar form with these little twists in the ninth and thirteenth measures. The whole album is just full of great grooves, instantly likable, and you can listen again and again.
1: Yeah, just cruising down the highway in the convertible. Listen to that in um, much nicer, warmer weather than we have right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my vibe there. You might think I like all this happy jazz, and it's true, I do. Um, but uh, the next one is a bit more mellow. Mm. This is from uh, episode 117 Solo Duo Trio Quartet. Solo Duo Trio Quartet <laughs> from May 29th. And this is Thomas Fonisbake, a bassist that we really love on this yes. podcast. And Justin Calflin, a new discovery for us mm-hmm. um, on the piano, Danish Rain. Okay, so I guess Faunus Bake uh, gets the title here. <laughs> Danish Rain on Storyville Records. And again, this has um Faunus Bake's really classy uh bass playing uh behind Justin Calflin's piano playing, which also was really elegant. He's kind of a new discovery for me too, and I really enjoyed his playing on this record too. To be honest, I think Faunus Bake makes everybody he plays with sound right. really great, but This made me discover also Justin Kauflin's playing. and I think I want to hear a bit more of him as well.
0: Yeah, he's a great pianist with a magical touch. This recording came out in May, May 19th, 2023, and I thought I'd just go for the title track uh, so we can hear the beginning of how everything gets going. Pretty magical sound there and just a duo. Fonusback's really a whole rhythm section in himself. He can do so many things that propel a tune along and I kind of like not having any drums here. You get that openness to it and you can hear the great tone of the piano and of course his ringing bass. A really magical recording.
1: Hey, a lot of great uh, jazz bass players out there now. It's pretty amazing. He's mm-hmm. one of them I would say. Alright, my Jazz Album of the Year was on episode 118 bone sandwiches from june 5th and this is john Alaboni. You are not alone on Skydeck Music. Now, we heard this, and I just loved the opening track, which was a, a boogaloo. It was a boogaloo, kind boogaloo of a. That's right, yeah, yeah. And just went on from there. There's a lot of variety on the record. And then Ayla Boni got in touch with us and actually sent us a few <laughs> CDs, which yes. just made me love this record even more. Not just because he sent them, but because of his really uh, thoughtful notes on the inside, right. which kind of gave real insight into the tracks. I should mention that if you're going to listen to this album, he wants you to listen to it from beginning to end in one sitting, like it's a movie. Right. It's also movie length. It's a (laughs) Mm -hmm. a short, old movie length. It's about 76 minutes long, so it's a lot to listen to. He says it's a healing record, and um, I would sort of have to agree, as far as um, jazz records go, that it does have that uh, quality. Its intention isn't to heal, but it, it does through his whole approach on this album.
0: And yeah, we should read some of the notes, because I think this is intensely personal recording. Uh, you are not alone. Others share your griefs. Others will share your joys. This album contains music for the heart, designed for healing, feeling, and being. In each selection, the musicians collectively meditate on a specific challenge or theme, creating a form of musical storytelling that is both personal and communal, both intimate and vast. Sometimes it's a party, other times a prayer or both. And as you say, it's meant to be enjoyed in sequence. So John Ilaboni on trumpet and flugelhorn, all compositions. Simon Harding, alto and tenor saxophones, bass, clarinet, and flute. So we've got some nice timbres in there. Mike Conrad, piano. Karen Quinn, acoustic and electric bass. Christopher Jensen, drums. Ryan Frost, Dumbek, the goblet drum. And Claire Ilaboni. I had some voice on track 10, and I know you want to hear the boogaloo mic, so I won't uh, disappoint. Let's get into it. one go on a little bit long just so you could get the flavor of it it's on Skydeck music a really great recording and I'm really interested to see what uh, John does next so thanks again for those CD copies
1: we recommend like listeners listen to like all of these albums but I really want to especially recommend that one yeah if you're looking for something to listen to I think it's really special All right, pick number eight Tony Addison
0: of course drummer
1: (laughs) this is his album relentless pursuit his debut jazz album I believe Because he had a gospel album before this. Right. Anyway, this is on the Odra Deck label, one of our favorite labels now. From episode 132, debuts and discoveries from September 18th. This record kind of is a bit of a calling card for Addison, and uh, his enthusiasm really comes across in the music and in the playing. And then we uh, talked to him, actually, later on, and his enthusiasm came (laughs) out there, too. Absolutely. He just seems like a really enthusiastic guy. Right. And I also liked uh, just the variety of, um. I, I called it a calling card because there are a lot of different styles on this album. He's a man who goes through quite a few, uh, I don't want to say forms, what is it, musical forms, let's say. I also like the fact that he has a track called Chicken and Hot Sauce on yes. this album, <laughs> which we both took to right away. Just not only the Chicken and Hot Sauce itself, but the actual track.
0: Right. On Deck Records, a very interesting record label for both classical and jazz And so, yeah, from Washington DC, Tony Addison, who composed everything on this album, along with him, William Knowles, who helped out with the arrangements on piano, Dave Marsh on bass, his brother Frankie Addison on soprano and tenor sax, Michael Thomas on trumpet on a few tracks, Michael Fitzhugh on trumpet as well, and Reginald Sinchi on trombone as we (laughs) discussed with them in the interview, unorthodox in composition, but always good fun. I was hooked from the first track. Every track is really interesting. I just want you to hear this get started because the first track has some interesting drumming and I was hooked trying to figure out what's going on. And when I asked Tony what's going on, he said, I don't know, (laughs) it's just really exciting. (laughs) So let's check it out. How those horns come back for the final blast into Noel's solo there. An exciting right. album. Don't miss this one. Yeah, I just want
1: to also add that um, as a drummer, he's really generous with um giving his musicians the spotlight or his band, you know, the individual members. He yes. They get a lot of space to solo in, and it's really
0: good yeah. to hear. And don't miss the interview. That was a lot of fun. It After the fun interview, interview, we kept on talking to him for like another hour, and it was yeah, just really we probably really should exciting. have recorded that, too. Yeah, we should have.
1: <laughs> anyway... Ninth pick, Leslie Harrison, Let Them Talk, on the Cellar Live label. This is from episode 134, Mediterranean Moves, uploaded on October 2nd. Now, I hadn't heard the song Fly Like an Eagle for years and years, Mm -hmm. and then she did this, and it had this great organ on it, too. We're such fans of the organ. I liked the voice right away, and um, I actually heard Fly Like an Eagle first because I sampled it as, like, sort of... um, Something coming up. And then wanted to hear the rest of the album. And yeah, it's all it's all just as good as that. There are a lot of great uh, covers on this album, too. You Love Won't Let Me Wait was on there. Embraceable You by Gershwin. Yesterday by the Beatles. It's really appealing. So it's kind of like rides the edge between um, jazz and older popular music. I don't mm-hmm. want to say pop music. Cause it means R&B. something totally different now. You right. say R&B. Okay, yeah. we'll say that. It was just something I hadn't heard in a really long time. And I was just so happy to hear it. And I liked Harrison's voice a lot, so this was a really welcome album into my ever-growing CD collection.
0: Leslie Harrison also has her own jazz radio program on WBGO from Newark, New Jersey, come Sunday, every Sunday morning. She's very gracious. We had a lot of nice exchanges with her. She said lots of nice things about our review of the album, and we have nothing but great things to say about this collection of music. Her singing style is very comfortable, a nice smokiness in her voice. And a kind of lived-in understanding of what the message of these songs is and that's all put across by this great organ trio she's with here. Ben Patterson on Hammond B3 organ, Matt Chertkoff on guitar and Pete Zimmer on drums and she gives a unique take on all of these tunes and of course you want to hear fly like an eagle so we'll just uh, get this one started. Great groove and uh, yeah an interesting kind of new feel here. So make sure you listen to it. What a great groove, too. Set yeah. by
1: the organ, too. It's just it's, There's so many things that are so mm-hmm. right about that. I just loved it. Okay, my 10th and final pick for jazz. Art Hirahara, Echo Canyon on the Positone label. Yeah, episode 138, Giant Genre Steps from October 30th. Now, we're big fans of Art Hirahara's playing, mm-hmm. and he's another pianist who can play in a lot of uh, different styles. I liked this particular one because it's more in his gentle style. He's not really stretching out and being really adventurous on this record. It's a more comfortable one, and I just really appreciated that at this point, I guess, in the year. Right. It's a good, relaxing listen. And uh, he's, as always, has this really fantastic sound and uh, approach, and I just, it felt really good to listen to.
0: As always, Positone putting out great recordings, and this is basically the house rhythm section here. Art Hirahara, all original compositions on this one, Boris Kozlov on bass, and Rudy Royston on drums. The Always great production team of Mark Free and Nico O'Toole, the engineer, making all these great recordings. I thought this one, you know, overall has a focus on just beautiful tone colors, which is what Art Hirahara is really great at. And there's an uplifting, positive nature in the melodies, lots of beautiful things to listen to on this recording. And so I thought we'd just sample the title track, Echo Canyon. album. Not to say that there aren't some intense and exciting moments as well, but the focus here really is on uh, tone color and smoothness, and uh, I would have picked this one as well on my list. Alright, so it's all in your uh, court now. Over to me. A lot of those I would have picked anyway, but then I got to pick other stuff that Mike didn't choose. So here are my picks. And, you know, I don't really think about uh, diversity of uh, gender or other kinds of things other than location when I go searching for jazz. But I wanted to have at least one lady of jazz in our recordings here. And I'm going to start out and go ladies first. This is going to go back to episode 104. And we're going to hear from a wonderful... Flautist Isabel Bodensa's Flowing Mind on Addition Collage Label. This came out on February 3rd, and what was so wonderful about this album, in addition to her great playing, is it's with an organ trio. (laughs) So we got flute, (laughs) organ trio, and (laughs) not only regular flute, but we're gonna get some bass flute on here, which is just a really cool sound. So we've got Isabel Bodensa on multiple flutes, Thomas Bowser on Hammond organ, Lorenzo Petroccia on guitar, Lars Binder on drums, Hilda Singer Biedermann on violin on one of the bonus tracks, and also Ruth Sarazin on cello. This bass flute sound is just great and I think we'll just start out with the first track for a sample called Confluting.
1: Yeah, You know, I was thinking about that one when I was making my list too. I was like looking at it. It's like, yeah. oh, I love jazz flutes so much and I shouldn't put this <laughs> on, but you can only pick so many. So, <laughs> Right. There it is.
0: Anyway, yeah, you, you definitely want to hear that her soloing is also really great, inventive, wonderful tones, flute and organ trio. Okay, next, another one from Odredek. This is going to go from episode 111, Mercurial Moods, the Octet La Nocturne ooh this was wild i like this one. high octane came out april 7th a french octet in the spirit of charles mingus this is a really exciting recording (laughs) right from the get-go we've got all these great arrangements we've got gabriel rigaud piano and compositions joan godefroy on bass valentine jam on drums Hughes Lehembre on baritone sax, Ezekiel Salada, tenor sax, Gabriel Fernandez, alto sax, Sammy Calfune on trombone, Olivier Duyon on trumpet. This is a really exciting recording right from the start. You're going to be surprised, so we'll go with the first track as a sample Ouverture des Champions. It's really just getting going there it's hard to give you a real flavor of what's going to happen on this recording but it's really enthusiastic one of the things that kind of defines what I heard this year in jazz I think last time we had some big band picks but what we could had this year are some sort of larger ensembles from septet to octet that were really really great and this was one of them this this band can sound like a mini big band when it gets to its biggest sort of uh, volume of sound it has a good mix of great horn arrangements spontaneous improvisation like a mingus ensemble there's a lot of different influences from american jazz i would say mingus bassy but also a lot of french flair with different moods and it's a lot of fun so yeah kudos to Deck for signing these guys up
1: yeah this record also has a way of making the tracks build up that's sort of um. It moves and kind of waves each each track, mm-hmm. and I really like that about it. And I also like the way that the orchestra would sometimes, or the band would sometimes break down, and then they'd just be vocalizing <laughs> and just kind of count in the next right. section. It's just a really exciting record. They have loads of uh, energy and excitement to them, even when they talk and shout. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> whooping it up,
0: so to speak, in right. the uh, background there too. The next pick from episode 114, Fabulous Frets." you can guess what that was about. It was guitar-centered. And this is Jason Kaiser's Shaw's Groove on Origin Records came out April 21st. Now Shaw's Groove would be Woody Shaw, the great jazz trumpeter I took great interest in when I was young and learning jazz because he was such a unique player whose music never got the attention it deserved and to have a loving treatment here from a guitarist who was also into his music was uh, really interesting right from the start. I have to say, Jason Kaiser is a really enthusiastic, nice guy. We had a lot of exchanges. He sent me some other music. He has a whole other world of music more in an acoustic realm that he's involved with uh, performing. And yeah, he, I think he does like I do to people. He sort of overwhelmed me with a whole bunch of other stuff that we were both really excited about and, you know, exchanging things. So I really appreciated his enthusiasm and what he's done here with arranging Shaw's music and kind of giving a new take on it that was really interesting. So we've got a double guitar album, both Jason Kaiser and John Stowell, Eric Jacobson on trumpet and flugelhorn, Aaron Linkton on barry sax, Dan Robbins on bass and Jason Lewis on drums all Woody Shaw compositions with one original from Jason Kaiser at the end, and it was just really exciting and interesting to see this music presented this way. Inventive arrangements, they stick close to the originals, but there are some surprises, and this instrumentation is very unique. Great solos all around, and yeah of course exciting guitar work here. So let's take one of Shaw's more famous compositions, The Moon Train, that jazz fans would probably know and see what's happening to it here. taste there but what you can get from that is this really cool instrumentation barry sax trumpet and guitar it really makes an interesting combination of sounds and there's a lot of great guitar playing uh contrasting styles between the two guitarists on this album i think you're going to enjoy it
1: yeah classy and um sophisticated too these are you know serious compositions too and i just like you know what they did with them came across really well
0: and i also want to thank jason for sending us copies of this as well signed copies i might add oh yeah Really appreciate that great enthusiasm. Check out his acoustic music as well. All right, one of the other things that has been popping up on the adult music podcasts, interestingly, over the past couple of years, is the music of Greg Hill. His music is interesting and accessible, and seems to be inspirational to musicians because there's a lot of recordings coming out now. This one might go under the radar. You might not find this one anywhere else, but I thought this was a really fun recording. It's by the Techno Cats. It's called the Technocats, the music of Greg Hill on Cold Plunge Records, which I think might be Hill's own recording label. Now, the other recordings we've heard were Rodney Whitaker, bassist's Oasis, the music of Greg Hill, Michael Deese's The Other Shoe, the music of Greg Hill. But here we got a really interesting presentation from the Technocats, who are Chris Glassman, bass trombone, Nathan Borton, guitar, Michael J. Reed, drums, Xavier Davis on piano and Javier Enrique on bass. So bass, trombone and guitar as your kind of lead instruments. Really interesting. It's produced by Greg Hill and some arrangements are done individually by the members of the group. Interestingly, mastered by Jim Alfredson, who we just heard on the Hammond organ earlier. We'll just get a taste on the first tune. Uh, come on down. This was arranged by Javier Enrique. I could just play more of this, because one of the things that's interesting about Hill's music is it's built out of familiar kind of structures, but used in interesting ways. So you've got that kind of vamp that goes on in the beginning, and then you get an A-A-B-A melody with stop time there. And then when you get to the solos, they just follow 12-bar blues form. And so he's always doing little interesting things with the way he constructs songs with little twists. The arrangements here are really great as you could hear with combination of trading of bass trombone and guitar and The solos on here are really creative and inspired. So if you haven't heard Greg Hill's music yet This would not be a bad place to start.
1: Yeah, I I like this too This one was on my uh, short list actually of uh, albums that I wanted to um, include, but one didn't wind up uh, happening (laughs) right but um I actually wanted to get a CD copy of this and he does sell them from his um, website. And I was like writing back and forth to him and, uh, it's free shipping in the US, but to Japan, it was like this exorbitant <laughs> amount of money. Yeah. So I think he's kind of caught in some kind of, uh, like commercial deal. It costs that much because he's, it's merchandise. Maybe I can get it sent to my brother in the mm-hmm. US and he could send it on, you know, for next to nothing. We'll have to look into that. Anyway, this is an album worth having, I would say.
0: All right, the next album is from episode 130, Love and Good Vibes. And this is Vibes on a Breath on OA2, origin record subdivision, I guess. Ted Piltsecker. This is an album that has really great arranging, instrumentation, and just a really great combination of tunes, some of which are unexpected and are really fun to hear in a new way. A couple of originals from Piltzegger, as well as Oliver Nelson, Lee Konitz, and the musicians on here are really great. So in addition to Piltsecker's vibraphone, we've got some really fine trumpet playing from Brad Good, Paul McKee on trombone, John Gunther tenor sax and bass clarinet, Will Swindler baritone sax, Paul Romain on drums, Gonzalo Teppa on bass, and we get some bassoon on one track too, Judith Leclerc and some extra percussion from Javier Diaz. I was hooked right away. Here's a tune I just wondered, why don't we hear this song anymore? It's such a great tune, and the arrangement here is wonderful, lingering on some little darker aspects. Let's check it out. This is If I Only Had a Brain. Everyone knows The Wizard of Oz. Stuff there. I can't go away without hearing some of that uh, trumpet from Brad Good here as well, so let's have a little listen to that. half valve stuff. This whole album is full of great little nuggets of arranging and just put me in a good mood. Never get tired of this one.
1: I didn't really remember it until you actually played that if I only had a brain. I remember that making a big impression <laughs> me on the time and then I don't know, somehow it, it slipped away. I guess I'm going to have to give this one another listen. But uh, yeah, it sounded great from that and I did like the uh, vibe sound on this. He's got a bit of sustain on that. Really beautiful sound coming from there. All right, you've talked me into it. I got to hear this again.
0: I remember you really liked it at the time. We just listened to so much music, it's impossible yeah, to some, remember Yeah, some of everything. it just kind of
1: goes away, yeah. Right. I don't know. If I don't have, again, if I don't have it on CD, I usually right. don't remember it.
0: All right, from the same episode, I want to choose one more from drummer Richard Baratta. Off the charts, I want to cut this short because I don't want to repeat a lot of what we talked about in the episode, but Bharata has a really interesting career of quitting music because he wasn't making money to becoming a hugely successful Hollywood movie producer, (laughs) and now he's come back to jazz, right? Good for him. On this recording, Jerry Burgunzi on tenor sax, one of our favorite pianists, David Kakoski on piano, the great John Patitucci on bass, and also additional percussion that adds a lot of atmosphere from Paul Rossman. He's going through music that he liked from the 60s and 70s that hasn't really been given enough attention from other players. His drumming is incredible, energetic, and all the playing on this recording is top notch. I'll give you one sample track four, a McCoy Tyner tune from his 1968 album, Expansions. So just check out and get some of the energy that you're gonna hear on this album. baratta has got it all going on as a drummer. I like the idea to focus on some neglected original compositions by jazz greats. The album is also a great showcase for Kikoski's piano playing. And I think it's high energy. John Patitucci never disappoints. You're going to like this album. Yeah. Big John Patitucci fan right here too. And I think
1: Baratta's is about the groove and I really like that mm-hmm. too. We had a really great groove in that track as well.
0: I just um, sink it into that. Good stuff. <laughs> all right. Next going to episode 138. Giant Genre Steps, an amazing debut here from trumpeter Constantine Alexander, this one was really impressive. Alexander, a trumpeter from Chicago, son of Greek immigrants, and he really digs into the uh, post-bop atmosphere here with really great tunes and incredible trumpet playing all original compositions on his debut. We've got Roy McGrath on tenor sax, Julius Tucker on piano, Greg Essig on drums, and Ben Dillinger on bass. And let's take a listen to some of the first tune, and we'll also get a little bit of his soloing, which is really impressive on this recording. on and on. Uh, This is a self-release by the way so I don't think any record company will mind. It just gets more exciting over that stop time there too. The tune is called The Show. An interesting composition too. There's a 20 measure melody but then when they get into the solos it's a 12 bar minor blues progression. It's hot like that through this whole recording. There are also some tender ballads on here with nice playing as well and it's an explosive debut. Trumpet players shouldn't miss this one.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. This is just a hot playing, great technique, and just really um, what I think of as a bright tone. This is really, Mm -hmm. there's a kind of real sunshine to it. Right. An exciting record. I took to this too. I remember how enthusiastic you were when we talked about it the first time and that really rubbed off on me. I really wanted to hear this.
0: Now let's go on the other side. Sometimes we want to be introspective and a bit mellow. And so my next pick is from episode 139, Piano Piano Everywhere and that's a recording on Smoke Sessions Records, Bridges, from Kevin Hayes, Ben Street, and Billy Hart. This is a follow-up to their 2021 recording, All Things Are, also on Smoke Sessions Records that we discussed back then in episode 18, Modernist Martini. One of the better names that we've come up with, I'd say? This time, we're going to get some Kevin Hayes originals, a tune from Wayne Shorter. We're going to get a Beatles song, with a little help from my friends, Bill Frizzell tune, and also a Billy Hart tune, Milton Nascimento as well, but I want to choose for a sample one of Hayes' originals called Song for Peace. This is really beautiful. It's a simple melody phrase. The tempo is kind of like a deep slumber, just really wonderful melodic playing. And what I want to do with this tune is actually pick it up from a little bit later in the tune because it's quite a slow tempo. I want to hear how he pulls all kinds of wonderful colors and develops ideas from something simple. This is a beautiful recording with a focus on the beauty of tone and melodic flow. Hayes has a unique touch, lots of colors coming out of the piano, and he uses his technique to serve that kind of musical concept. Uh, I really get absorbed in the music when I listen to this. Yeah, I was really um, drawn to this too. And in fact,
1: I bought the CD. (laughs) (laughs) It was just great. It it was just really, uh, again, like the Art Hirohara, I I think it kind of set this really kind of later in the evening sort of vibe that really I could just chill out to and just beautiful playing all the way through. Their take on with a little help from my friends was pretty interesting too. It was a little <laughs> different than right. the familiar tune that we have from the Beatles. So check that out.
0: All right. And as I said, the constant theme this year has been larger style ensembles and I couldn't let this one go by either. From episode 141, Solo Septet and Symphonic Sounds. This is Swiss drummer Elmar Fry's Seven Colors. septet recording tunes kind of with a 1960s jazz atmosphere to them, except they're all original and really exciting. And this album is just a lot of fun to listen to, full of energy right from the beginning. So before I say more about it, let's take a listen to the first track, which is called Blue Course Ready. album is like that. Great arrangements and then going into great solos. All original tunes except for one. Track six is a Nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. That's a Manning-Sherwin tune. So Seven Colors is a full spectrum. There's echoes of great 60s jazz but it's not nostalgic rather fresh and invigorating. The arrangements are full but they all have little tricks and unique things in them to keep you engaged and surprised. I just love the swing, happy melodies, there's some Latin rhythms on here as well. And Fry's drumming is exciting and propels everything forward.
1: Yeah, I found this record exciting too. I took to it right away. This is mm-hmm. uh, We talked about this one recently, I remember. The whole 60s vibe of it too. Just a good, comfortable energy and feeling like really energetic. Uh, fantastic recording.
0: And one more to go to wrap everything up. And this last one, just from last week's episode, episode 144, Troubled Times, Remembered Times. Dutch bassist. Casper van Miel's "Sati, A Time Remembered, and we've got a sextet here with great arrangements, again, keeping with this year's theme. This one, the more I listen to it, I just get drawn in, and it seems like it's something about Sati this year that sort of ends everything up. Yeah.
1: Again, like I said, at the end of the year, too, it's just sort of weird. It just happened in December.
0: We heard that Bertrand Chamayou recording that made us experience Sati's music in a new way with the programming and combination of John Cage's music. And Van Miel has done the same thing from a jazz perspective here. We're going to explore those unique harmonies of Sati's music, but he's added a new rhythmic dimension and sort of explored things in a new way. I just love all the arranging on this recording. Let's see, we'll just choose one to play from this. I guess it's going to be Nocian number three, track seven. about this particular one is normally when i hear the solo piano version it strikes me as having a kind of sadness in it but Mm. here he's transformed that into sassiness with those uh trumpet licks in the arrangement there and i love that bass ostinato so it makes you experience these in a new and fresh way that was a lot of fun
1: yeah and yet they still have that um modal feel to them. Exactly. He really transforms these pieces in a different way than uh, Chamayou makes us think of the pieces differently by juxtaposing them with Cage's music. This is a really interesting uh, December. You know, you always think that we do the Christmas episode and then we do this one, and the two in between are just going to be, oh, just, you know, leftover stuff. But no, No. it turned out to be uh, some of the best recordings we heard all year. Right. Yeah.
0: And here we are. I mean, it was really hard to whittle and chop things down. Just scratching the surface of what we did this year, which is just scratching the surface of all the things I list up every day. You know, so right. it's sort of distilled down. I can't say these are the best recordings, but you can't go wrong with any of them. And I think they reflect the big diversity of sounds and approaches, both in classical and jazz music, give you a wide perspective with musicians from all around the globe doing interesting things. And I believe this music will keep you engaged
1: yeah and yet you know we had 23 classical recordings 20 jazz recordings on this list and yet uh i'm still lamenting some of the jazz recordings we didn't talk about <laughs> i know you know because i'm just thinking of some oh i really like this one. Oh yep. well you get, you'll same. have to
0: go through the um the lists for that that's why you need to listen every week yeah speaking of which we'll be back again next week on new year's day with we our will. first new episode new music of course that will have been released in 2023 but we'll get it out in the new year. And I've already decided my theme, Mike, it's trumpet.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna have a a, a piano sandwich, sort of uh, the the bread being two choral works. Okay, Okay. so I've got like a pretty interesting start to the year. The funny (laughs) thing is is that a podcast is gonna come out December 31st in the United States, probably. Maybe, yeah. It depends. It depends uh, how festive I get on New Year's Eve. (laughs) Well, how fast we get it up there. Exactly. Uh, But uh, yeah, so, but that'll be our first um, episode of 2024, which I'm really looking forward to because 2023, musically wonderful though it was, Mm -hmm. was kind of rough economically on us. I'm ready to start buying CDs again. Come on.
0: Yeah. Let's get this uh, economy going again here in Japan. Thanks to all the musicians, record companies, and listeners who kept us going through this year. We'll keep pushing through 2024. Thanks to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our glowing neon logo. Don't forget to check out The Same Difference, Two Jazz Fans, One Jazz Standard Podcast. You'll hear their promo at the end of the audio here. And we're going to be over there on New Year's Day as well. So we'll have two episodes to check out. Looking forward to that. Any final thoughts to close out the year, Mike?
1: Uh, just to the listeners, thanks for listening all year long and for being with us. It's been a fantastic year musically, and we're just happy to have you along. And uh, you know, let us know what you like, too. We want to we wanna know. We're always looking for new music to listen to.
0: Absolutely. Please get in touch. Uh, let us know what you like about the podcast. And if you have any other ideas for 2024, we'd love to hear from you. Be sure to reply. So Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Happy New Year. We'll wish you in the next episode. But please enjoy... A little downtime with family friends and great music
1: yeah and we're gonna enjoy some downtime right now absolutely (laughs) (laughs) much needed okay until the
0: next episode so we'll see you again in the new
1: year same difference two jazz fans one jazz standard a review of a single jazz standard through music history and stories and this is aj and this is johnny if you are a jazz fan and you like jazz standards